Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. So please welcome Alyssa Sussman. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. Um, it means so much to see all of your lovely faces here, so I'm so glad that you could all make it. Um, I'm going to read um, the beginning of the first chapter for my book, um, and then we'll open it up to questions if anyone has any. There once were four sisters who were exceptionally ordinary, but desired more than a maiden should desire. Ravaged by their shameful wants, their loving hearts never bloomed. Instead, four wicked brambles grew in their place, each tainted with poisonous magic. The Four Sisters 216. Chapter 1. Ashlyn's hands were bleeding. Her dress was stained with dirt and muck, her hair unraveling with each heaving breath. The scent of dampness, of mud and sweat filled her nose. She was alone in the cold, dark garden with a ruined dress and bloodied palms. Through the nighttime came the muffled sounds of the spring ball, of laughter and dancing and people falling in love. Ashlyn felt so very far away and wished that this was just another nightmare, that this was something she could be awakened from. All of it was her fault. She should have tried harder, should have controlled the curse, should have remained on the path. But there was no, wish there was no use wishing to change what could not be changed. Soon they would come looking for her. With a trembling hand, Ashlyn brushed the dust from her gown, careful not to bloody the material, and tucked a loose strand of hair behind her ear. Glancing at the destroyed rose bushes strewn across the dirt, Ashlyn went through the gate, up the stairs, and back to the ball. That morning she had woken, tangled in sheets and nightmares. The linens were easily discarded, but the dreams lingered like smoke. In them she was alone. She was always alone. Alone in an unknown forest with sharp branches and a round waxen moon above her. But last night had been different. Last night there had been footsteps. They had echoed in the dark, and Ashlyn had searched the shadows, turning round and round until a pair of yellow eyes appeared in front of her, as if they had been there all along. Above her, the clouds had shifted, and the moonlight revealed the creature, a long snout and wet, wide mouth, a wolf. No matter how many times Ashlyn prayed for a chaste heart, no matter how many times she vowed to keep her desires pure, every evening her wild wishes followed her to bed, sprawling across her pillow and tangling in her hair. Jealous, prideful wishes. And as she slept, they wrapped themselves around her and twisted into nightmares. Ashlyn knew she was to blame. No good girl had such dreams of darkness and moonlight and now of wolves, of animals so fierce they lived off, the, off brambles sharp enough to cut their pink tongues. The dream was a warning, a reminder that a maiden's heart was capable of growing both roses and thorns, that if she was not careful, if she was not diligent, her steps along the path would falter. Ashlyn stood and faced the wall. Crossing her, arm, her wrists over her chest, she could feel the warmth of her heavy gold locket against her palm. She dropped to her knees and in a sleep-sore murmur recited the words inscribed on the pendant. I will accept the path I am taking. I will not stray. 
I will not yearn for what I cannot have. I will heed the words of my advisors and guard my loving heart against cursed magic ever after. As Ashlyn's heartbeat settled into a slow, steady rhythm, she heard the soft patter of footsteps and the rustle of uniforms in the hallway. Her bedroom door opened, letting in Talia, T, and the beginning of the day. Ashlyn would not mention last night's dream. She forced a smile and sat back on her bed, smoothing her nightgown tightly around her stocking feet and legs. Just another secret to keep. Good morning, said Talia, as she set the tray down on the vanity and pulled back the curtains, inviting bright spring sunlight into the bedroom. From behind, the fairy godmother barely looked like a person, more like a soft triangle in her wimple and loose robes. As was traditional, her uniform hid all but her face and hands. She returned Ashland's smile, only hers was easy and sweet, the corner of her, dark, her green eyes crinkling. What would my lady like to wear today, Talia asked, dropping sugar cubes into the tea with two soft plinks before opening the massive wardrobe to reveal the dozens of blue dresses inside. Without waiting for a response, the fairy godmother retrieved, retrieved two gowns. The one she passed to Ashlyn was a cotton periwinkle dress that had been worn a dozen times, pretty and simple. The other dress Talia hung carefully next to the mirror. It was exquisite. Made of a rich satin, the vibrant sapphire color was slightly muted by a layer of organza across the massive skirt. Blue lace and delicate beading decorated the long sleeves and high collar that were customary for a young lady from the Northern Kingdom. But it wasn't the sleeves or the neckline that had Ashlyn's attention. It was the rose. Now that she was 16, it would be embroidered on each of her gowns, a rose in perfect bloom over her heart. Disappointed that she had to wait until the evening to wear the beautiful gown, Ashlyn stepped into the cotton day dress. Talia tended to the endless line of buttons down its back, and Ashlyn did her best not to flinch each time her fairy godmother's fingers brushed against her bare skin. No matter the warmth of the room or the heat of the season, Talia's hands, like all fairy godmothers, were frigid. The morning bell rang just as the last button was fastened. Slipping into her shoes, Talia, Ashlyn followed Talia out of the bedroom and down the stairs to breakfast. Four years at Noreen Academy, but to Ashland it had never felt anything like home. Until a girl was settled into her married life, everything else was only temporary. It was best not to get attached, and the Academy made it easy. Everything was stone, hard and bleak. Though Northerners were found, fond of embellishments, the only decorations the headmistress tolerated were the enormous tapestries. The one outside the dining hall portrayed a young woman with her head arched back, her mouth open in a silent scream. Between the hands crossed over her heart was a tangle of briars tearing through her chest, bloodying her fingers. She had black hair like Ashlyn's. The familiar sounds of gossip and laughter floated into the corridor as Ashlyn made her way to the dining hall. At the sight of the lone figure seated at the furthest corner table, she walked a little faster. Maris didn't look up when Ashlyn approached, her attention focused on the blonde curl she was, she was twisting between her fingers. Her other hand was tracing the embroidered rose on her yellow dress. Morning, Ashlyn said, as she took the seat opposite her friend. Morning was the sullen response. There was a burst of laughter from across the room where the other, more favored girls were seated. Maris cast an envious look in their direction. Guilt filled Ashlyn's chest. Someone should have told Maris when she arrived at Noreen last season that offering friendship and kindness to someone like Ashlyn meant sacrificing her own social standing within the academy. Selfishly, Ashlyn was glad for Maris's misstep. At least now they had each other. She cast a covert look, covert look behind her where half a dozen girls were seated separately, their heads down, trying not to draw any attention to themselves. 
The room grew silent as the headmistress entered the dining hall, followed by a line of equally stern-faced teachers. Their robes were nearly identical to the ones fairy godmothers wore, except for the embroidery over their hearts. Ashlyn crossed her wrists over her chest as Madame Odette led them in the morning prayer. May our hearts be modest and our steps unwavering, ever after. Both Ashlyn and Maris were silent as breakfast was set in front of them, a bowl of porridge for each, accompanied by a dish of brown sugar and a platter of fruit. Adding large scoops of sugar, Ashlyn stirred her food until it was nearly the same shade as her skin. You're going to eat that, Maris asked as Ashlyn took her first bite. The porridge was too hot and burned her throat as she swallowed. You know it's a bad idea to eat on the day of a ball, Maris said. Of course, Ashlyn quickly pushed her food away. Thank you. Someone ought to remind Soraya. Maris was, glancing, was looking back over Ashlyn's shoulder with a smirk. Ashlyn glanced back. The girl in question had already finished her breakfast and was now eating from the platter of fruit. I still can't believe she'll be contained before me. Maybe if my father was a lord. Maris pressed her spoon hard against the table. You'll probably be contained within the season. Do you think so? Ashlyn said, surprised. To be engaged, let alone marry, soon after being introduced was quite unusual. Of course, Maris laughed, the noise empty and forced. Truth and honesty, Ashlyn, whomever you marry will get to be king. It doesn't matter what you look like. Ashlyn's father was one of the handful of kings in the north. Like all kingdoms, the north had one first-class monarch who ruled over the entirety of his country. Under him were the second-class kings, who oversaw several provinces, each in turn ruled by, run by third-class dukes. And below them were the fourth-class royals, like Maris's family, who managed their own lands and servants. Once her father died, Ashlyn's husband would take on the responsibilities of king and manage Nepeta and its, its surrounding provinces. Ashlyn knew that Maris was right, that it was her status that would be tempting to suitors, but she couldn't help wishing that there were other reasons she could be contained so quickly. A dangerous heat began to flicker in her chest, and Ashlyn took a deep breath, willing away her vain and wicked thoughts. At least no one can tell I'm from the West, Maris said, pushing blonde strands back from her pale face. Indeed, of the two of them, it would be easy to mistake Maris for being northern-born, where her coloring was more exotic, was her coloring was more common. The last thing I'd want is to look too exotic. She eyed Ashlyn's dark hair, but there was a hint of jealousy in her gaze. I'm sure you'll be contained soon. Her friend glared at her. Of course I will, Maris said. Have I told you about the shoes I'll be wearing this evening? There was nothing more Maris liked to talk about. There was nothing Maris liked to talk about more than her small feet and delicate shoes. So even though Ashlyn had already heard about them, she shook her head and let the other girl launch into a detailed description. Well, they have tiny stitching across the heels, and each toe is embroidered with a single perfect yellow rose, so when anyone bows to greet me, they'll see, that they seal, they'll see the rose and remind her that I am in bloom. Maris had previously mentioned that her gloves would also be embroidered with yellow roses, so the added embellishment to her shoes seemed like a rather desperate indication of her status. But, Mar but Ashlyn said nothing. She supposed that being so close to turning 17 without a proposal of marriage would make someone very desperate indeed. So if anybody has any questions. <laughs> How did you decide to write that type of book? You know, rather than something looks like it's more mystical going back and make the sixteenth century something rather than today's um, the question was why I decided to write this type of book. Um, and I was really just inspired by fairy tales and sort of the, the world of fairy tales and wanted to create something that 
um, drew inspiration not from any specific story, but from lots of them. Um, and so that's sort of where it originally came from. Does anyone else? What age level is the book you're Um Well, my sister is a middle school teacher, and she said it's good for her students. So <laughs> I think, you know, middle school and above. Does anyone else have any questions? Um, I'm interested, uh, you said that you're inspired by fairy tales, but did you do specific research on fairy tales? And what fairy tales did you pull from? Because I understand that this is uh, more than one book. It's going to be a few books that are intertwined. Yes. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about sort of what kind of research you did and what fairy tales you pulled in? Um, well, I did a lot of the sort of um, inspiration for the book originally came when I was writing a paper in college about um, because I love animation. Um, and I was writing a paper about um, female representation in female characters in animated movies. And so I was watching a lot of Disney movies and sort of was very interested in how different characters, different female characters are portrayed, such as fairy godmothers, and um, sort of felt that there was this untapped world um, that could be a lot of fun to explore. Um, and uh, a lot of the fairy tales are sort of the more common ones, like Cinderella is a big inspiration, and Sleeping Beauty, and there's elements of like Little Red Riding Hood and things like that, so. Anyone else? Can you explain the process of getting your book published? Um, I <laughs> I took the very traditional um, route, which was to write the book until you know and polish it and work on it until I felt that it was good, good enough to be sent out. And then I queried agents um, and found a wonderful agent um, who then ended up working with me on the book even more, and then um, sold it to HarperCollins and Green Willow. Anyone else? Um, I think it's different because it is about a lot of fairy tales. It takes sort of familiar fairy tales that we all know and then smushes them all together into a different fairy tale. Mm -hmm. How many days or years did it take to make that book? A lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took, well, when I, it took a long time to actually write it. And then when I did write it, it took about three years to get it to be this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have you started on the next one? Yes. <laughs> I have started on the next one. And I'm very excited about it. How many are there? Right now, it's sort of just two. But there's sort of the possibility for, for more. Yes. I'm always interested in process. Um, how did what came first? Was it the setting? Was it the character? Was it Ashlyn? What like what what was the what was the thread that sort of uh, was the springboard for you to write the story? Um, I think just the concept of having a place where fairy godmothers are trained to be fairy godmothers. That's sort of the theme that's always been there. So it was like character. Yeah. 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 Can ask for anything. <laughs> <laughs> Last chance. Oh, yes. Is Ashlyn the same character that she started her out to be? Um, the question was, is Ashlyn the same character that she started out to be? No, she's actually really different. The very, very first draft, she was she had a different name, and she was very um, sort of snarky and 
um, like tough and it didn't really make sense how she had gotten to that place. So the character that she is now is, is someone who really has bought into this world that she lives in and sort of is learning to observe it in a more active way. Um, well, Ashlyn came from, I wanted, because Cinderella is a major sort of inspiration, so I wanted to sort of be evocative of Ash and um, Cinders and things like that. Um, Talia is both named after a friend of mine and also drawn from, there's a old version of Rapunzel called Talia, the Moon and the Stars, and so it's sort of pulling from fairy tale names as well. and. There's a character named after my grandfather in there. There's, you know, there's a bunch of different of different um, inspiration that comes from it. Yes. Uh, there seems like there's a big demand for smushing together fairy tales, as you said. Mm-hmm. We're talking so far uh, about once upon a time, and we all know and love into the woods. Mm-hmm. I think I think we've always loved fairy tales and because they have a tendency to they don't really have like a homeland you know there's no there's no sort of original version of any fairy tale that we can um, you know really locate so I think it's that we we always want to change and grow those stories um, to be something that is more fitting of our time and I think that's sort of where and I think because there are so many great things about different stories that, I mean, even really, really old versions, you see a lot of overlap between themes and, and things like that. There are just a lot of um, ideas that kind of like work really well together, that sort of lend well to the smushing up together. What we described as a fairy tale from the 21st century adolescent coming in? Yes. <laughs> yes, it could. <laughs> <laughs> you can write all my press releases, Bodhi. Thank you. I remember when I gave you all the fairy tales. I know. How about world building? How did you go about sort of uh, coming up with the rules for magic and sort of uh, what was the process for building this, uh, this uh, fantastical place? Um, I actually drew a lot of inspiration from our world um, because a lot of the path is sort of based on sort of extreme views towards women and um, and the, and magic especially is really um, sort of I drew a lot of inspiration from how we we sort of treat menstruation and like how we like teach girls how it's really dirty and gross and something to be ashamed of and in reality it's sort of this really awesome thing that we should all be really proud of but it's it's something that gets really messed up in the way that our society views it so I just sort of took that and gave it a, a, a magical bent and that's that's what ended up being in the story Yes. <laughs> what do you hope for especially young readers to take away from this? Um, I think the thing that I really hope that young readers will get is um, Ashlyn's journey is kind of slow and um, uneven and she makes a lot of bad mistakes and she, do, you know, she doesn't have the right answer and I, and I sort of wanted a book where 
it shows how challenging something that you've known your entire life is not a perfect process. It's not something that you wake up and you say, oh, oh, I, I totally recognize I'm being oppressed and I'm just going to shed everything that, that has to do with that. And it's, it's sort of, it is, it is a process where it's like one step forward, two steps back. And I really wanted Ashlyn to sort of be that a character that shows that it's, it's okay to make mistakes while you're finding yourself, essentially. Um, well, the book just sort of came out on, on Tuesday, so not yet, but I, I mean, I have heard from there people who got advanced copies, um, some young bloggers were, were, um, very enthusiastic about it and it was wonderful to hear from them. So I hope, I hope that more readers will reach out to me. Yeah. I, I, w I love hearing from readers. I think that's the best thing. Um, did you uh, suffer from writer's block? All the time. How did you overcome? What was the question? If I suffer from writer's block, and yes. <laughs> um, I think when I get to a place where I'm really not sure what to do. I do this thing, and this is not a scientific method in any way, but I could take a fake nap where I just like lay down and just try to clear my brain and just kind of really try to just let my mind sort of do its own thing for a while. And usually that helps it lead back to the place that it needs to go. So. Um, well, I don't know if they're specifically unique to me, but I've, I've done a lot of, tried to, you know, sort of talk to as many bloggers and people who are interested in the book. Um, there has, we made a wonderful book trailer, and the star of the book trailer is actually here today. Um, and I'll be, there'll be, um, because there's, um, food is a big theme within Stray. There's going to be some videos um, that show how to bake some of the recipes shown in the book that will be coming out, which I hope um, you will all see. So things like that have been my marketing campaign. Uh, you mentioned food is a big theme in the book. So what's, what's your relationship with food and why? <laughs> <laughs> what's part of your story or Ashley's story? Uh, well, I love food, um, and and I think that well, I think in in fairy tales, food is a very is a very um, prominent theme as well. You have, you know, apples, which are are very a very um, obvious example. But um, I think that I really wanted to give Ashlyn something that she can do. That's sort of it's not super proper for a, a princess to do, and it's kind of getting her hands dirty a little bit. Um, and is sort of emotional for her because it connects her to her fairy godmother. So, and because my mom taught me how to bake, it's sort of a very sort of generational thing and something that you can learn how to do. And it's, it's you know, the mixing of few ingredients makes something so amazing that you share with other people, I think is, is a really great sort of metaphor for stories as well, so.
You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.